I was trying to book a restaurant this morning online. Yeah. What are you what are you booking? Oh, just mate, I don't go to the place you go. I'm just gonna fucking box hill. And um uh, the the Vietnamese joint? Uh Chinese. And the the booking system I tried twice and and you can't book. It's called food booking. They use foodbooking.com. Ah uh, yes. And it, it's got a call. Yeah, but I'm doing the morning. they're not open until twelve o'clock. Ah. So I just want to do it while I've got a bit of downtime. And then, um, and it's just, it just it says, oh, we're a bit busy at the moment. We're, um, we're trying. And it's, it's this bar that's just like, you know, moving from left to right. And says, sorry, keep, keep holding. We're almost there. <laughs> and then there's this countdown from like three minutes. In the end, I did it twice. And it says, sorry, we're probably busy right now. We can't take your booking. I'm like, what the uh, fuck? What's the point of an trainer. online booking system? <laughs> what episode are we up to? Here we are. 40. Episode 40. Big 4-0. Oh shit! It is too. Whew. I'm super bummed you didn't. You weren't here for Papa Giorgio's one. Yeah, that would have been a good one. Yo, Pap. All right, I'm. I'm. I'm in. I'm. I'm here. I'm ready. On. Let's put my phone on silent. Uh, I'm listening to this uh, really interesting podcast. About a, a CIA, ex-CIA spy. <laughs> you love these uh, conspiracy. Oh, so good. Uh, it's not even conspiracy. The guy was actually, him and his wife were both CIA operatives. Yeah. And, you know, they talk about US primacy as being the number one factor for the CIA in doing, in doing everything they do. Super interesting. I heard the reason why the Chinese are buying up land in Vanuatu is because the US has air bases in, in Hawaii. Mm. And so they're just trying to get closer and closer and closer, which... Interesting. Yeah, which is really interesting because when we got there, I was like, why are there so many Chinese restaurants and like $2 shops? Um, but apparently the Chinese help Vanuatu like a lot with uh, money when, cycle, when the cyclones uh, are natural yep, disasters. Yep. They're just ploughing money into the country and the government's basically then dishing out passports to nationals for right. investment and it's yeah. just this agreement they've got. Um, Super interesting. But yeah, just they're talking to all the cabbies, they're like, yep, Chinese, guy, Chinese guys have bought all this beach land, they're building private villas and it's Amazing. just... Wow. It sounds like what's going on in Bali with the Russians yes. is what the Chinese are doing in, in, Vanuatu. in Vanuatu. Yeah, it's just really interesting. Chinese restaurants... Can't speak like proper f- wow. fresh off the boat. Yep. Can't speak English. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, Deb, can you talk to them? <laughs> but she was saying that, that they're speaking some other dialect, like not Mandarin, not yeah. Cantonese. Like okay. just, she, she couldn't even yeah. pick it up. Wow. And um, that'll be really interesting. Maybe it's time to buy some property in Mate, the Chinese are buying. Yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> buy, develop, sell to them. Um, and the problem, the problem they're having is, is that because I'm like, well, what's the big deal? Like, so what if the Chinese are buying? Well, the Australians have been here for years. The Australians mm. have been always helping the uh, Vanuatu with roads and infrastructure and so forth. But apparently, they're coming in. They're just building shopping centers. Like, they're big in construction yeah, there, yeah. and they're bringing their own people to do the construction. They're ever hiring any any locals. They don't pay them much, etc. I think that's what they've got a bit of a gripe about. But it's yeah. a tough one. Like, if they're coming in with the goods when there's natural yeah, disasters, yeah. like, how do you... And building all the infrastructure, everything that you need, it's tough. They've got these resorts, um, not resorts, like, um, point places of interest, like waterfalls that have been owned by um, locals for years and years and years. And what happened was through, I think... Uh, not that long ago, with all the cyclones and and whatnot, um, and and with what's going on in the world with like interest rates, a lot of these guys couldn't afford the loans they had to own these um, places of interest, mm. and so the bank. There was a period of time, not that long, a few years back, where the bank had to just more more mortgagee all these things and just take them off their hands, and so the bank was left with them. And then the Chinese came in and bought these things for like fuck all like these natural waterfalls that are sitting on acres and acres and acres, just natural jungle land. Wow. And so they've just bought them and then locals are now boycotting, visiting these different um, landmarks yeah. because it's owned by foreigners. 
That's crazy. I can't believe the government allowed that. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the banks just repossessed them and then sold them off. Jeez. It's fascinating, yeah, like, just yeah, yeah. talking to the locals and, you know, the taxi drivers about what's going on. Yeah, it's just really interesting. Yeah, super interesting. How true any of that is, I've got no idea. There's just taxi, taxi, back of the cab <laughs> hey. stories. We're starting. Let's go. All right, welcome everyone. Episode 40, the big 4-0. Are you 40 yet? You're not 40. Next year. Oh yeah, next year. It's a big milestone for us, the Wide Lens Podcast. Um, episode 40, joined here with my co-host, John Sim. We're going to cover the latest topics in financial markets this week. Um, it's, uh, it's awesome to be back. We had a couple of weeks off. John was absent for the chat with Andrew Papagiorgio of Realm Investment House a couple of weeks ago, which I'm pretty bummed about that you missed, actually. That would have been a really good one um, for you to be involved in. But uh, hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll, get, back. we'll get Papa back on yep. um, in time. We're recording this on 28th of April, uh, 2023 at 10.30am. Um, we'll get started on Rob's market wrap. Uh, I'll bring this first chart up. The... Uh, major market indices over the course of the last five days. We've got the Australian stock market down 1%, the S&P 500 down 0.4%. The NASDAQ, which I want to talk about today, is up 0.3%. European stocks uh, up 1.38%. Emerging markets down three quarters of a percent over the week. And then I'll also bring up the, the year-to-date numbers as well. Uh, the big green one there, the big boss, the NASDAQ, uh, up 20.6% in total return over the course of the the current year. The Australian stock market up a bit under 5%. The uh, S&P 500 up a bit under 9, 8.7%. European stocks up 15.5% and emerging markets plateauing and putting along up about 3%. Um, what's really interesting to me is just that resurgence of the tech sector again. European stocks really, really pushing pretty hard. S&P 500's come back quite a bit. And the Australian stock market, for all it did during the back half of or the Q4 of 2022 and some half of Q1 for 2023, it just seems like it's just really started to slow down. Uh, and you can see that in the charts, just just plateauing and not doing much else, whereas the, the European, US and NASDAQ markets have just have just uh, ripped up. Yeah, ripping up again. The interesting thing for me um, was the NASDAQ. It had its fifth best day of the year and its eighth one-day gain of 2% plus this year. And it's closing up 2.42% and just over 1% from a new high for the year as well. Um, just some fun facts here from Bespoke. The Nasdaq's average one-month performance following prior 2%-plus daily gains has been somewhat somewhat dependent on whether it closed above or below its 200-day moving average. With the above-average returns, when the 2% rally occurred when it was above that level. So currently, the, the, the Nasdaq's sitting, its 50 day, sitting above its 50-day moving average and as well as its 200-day uh, moving average. Um, since, since its inception in 1971, the NASDAQ has had 543 single-day moves of 2% plus, which, which works out to just over 10 per year. So this year's total of eight so far is above the average pace. Um, Bespoke had this really, really good chart, and I'm just going to bring this up in a second. And what it looks at is... Uh, what does the stock, what does the Nasdaq do after we've had these two percent gains? Um, so the first the first chart is Nasdaq performance after two percent up day. You can see what happens. So they've in the, the blue is all two percent days. Up the green is when they've got up when it's been above the two hundred day moving average, and the red is below the two hundred day moving average. And the grey is in all days. Just focus on the all days. The next day the stock market's up slightly. 
up a little bit more the next week. The next month, it's up about 1%. But probably what was more interesting to me was the, the bottom pane of that, of that chart, which was the probability of, of it being higher the next day, the next week, and the next month. Um, and I've got some more interesting charts that I want to talk about, um, and w- which we'll look at, that um, looks at why we could have potentially, I know you don't agree with this, but potentially cemented a bottom mm. in the stock market, certainly in the short term. Okay. Yep. Um, and I'll talk about those. Um, My views are changing. but Oh, are they? Mm. Since when? Since yesterday? What Since happened yesterday. between yesterday and well, this morning? I'll talk about inflation. <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm... I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, all right, let's let's get let's get straight into it. Um, what's am I doing this one? Yeah, another one almost bites the dust. Um, Bloomberg had this article: First Republic stuck in standoff between U.S. and banking industry regulators have been hoping that banks will hash out a rescue after they've already given them thirty billion dollars, but firms are barking at doing more after depositing billions, thirty billion dollars. In fact, so um, they've had a big. Big drop over the last uh, six months, haven't they? Or oh, well, the last the last week. Who? Um, First Republic. First Republic. The, the stock's down ninety five percent. So just maybe just quickly background, um, as as we all know, and we talked about uh, on the pod in previous weeks. Regulators came in and rescued SVB, Signature Bank, and then it happened really really quickly, right? Um, depositors were short up and you know, I, won't, I won't go of old ground, um, hit, up, hit up the previous episodes. But for a brief moment, it all looked like it was resolved. We we're all good. Uh, remember, I think the FT shared a table which we posted up on the pod as well. It kind of ranked all the sort of reg- US regional banks from riskiest and yes. SVB was there. Uh, interestingly, First Republic was sort yeah, of there as yeah. well. And we were joking about whether First Republic becomes the next one. Um, they came out – so everything was all good until now. Um, obviously, we're going through earnings season in the US at the moment. Uh, earnings reports showed that the bank lost $102 billion in deposits over the first three months in 2023. That's, yeah. more than, that's more than half of their $176 billion that it had on deposit by the end of 2022. Their profit fell 33%. Revenue dropped 13%. And so this is, again – Classic bank run, uh, as we've seen with SVB and Signature and, and some of the others. This is the stock price. Everything looked sort of okay until we had the first leg down with with what was going on. Yep. Uh, and then, I mean, it's it, it's hard to tell how big these drops are, but they were thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent drops. Yeah. Um, and the stock's down ninety five percent over the last last six months. Yeah. So the stock, their bonds are basically pricing in it. It's worth nothing. Jeez. That's what the, that's what the market's pricing in at the moment, and the, by the way, this this decline is after the uh, the consortium of banks, the JP Morgans, and, and yeah, they all and tip, and tip money in thirty billion dollars. Yeah, the First Republic, and so this so is, what are they going to do with that money now? Are they going to leave it in there? We'll talk well, or they yeah, mo- well, they're, most of the deposits are gone. gone. I, don't know, I don't know where that thirty billion dollars went. Like yeah. what what on what part of the balance sheet that sits on. Uh, but there, there's this massive divergence now. You're seeing these regional banks, and we've talked about this for some time, so I don't, I don't talk too too long about it. But everyone's pulling their money out of the regional banks uh, and putting it in the top tier banks. Mm. We've seen like JP Morgan, I think Wells Fargo. They've had huge, enormous, enormous deposits. Not only that, we've also seen a massive uptick in money market funds. So money market funds, for those who don't know, they're sort of – think about it like managed funds and they're a composition of things like short-term credit, some bonds, some cash. It's not a cash equivalent, but if you're getting the likes of um, you know, 3 or 4%, which these regional banks have to pay to attract the deposit, yeah. the likes of a JP Morgan – they're telling you about to fuck off. They're paying them like half a percent because yeah. they don't need to pay the higher interest rate for the depositors to put the money with them. But what investors are doing and depositors are doing, they're, they're still pulling money out of some of these big banks. Money market funds, and I think we talked about this a few weeks yeah. back, just absolutely skyrocketing. Whether whether there's a, a, a bubble in money market funds is, is yet to be seen, but I, I just I don't think that's a frenzy-like mm. uh, asset class. Uh, I mean, it's backed by... You know, secure. No one needs to sell anything. It's secure. It's 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 security. U.S. security. U.S. Treasury, um, and they're paying out, out about five percent per annum now. Yeah, so I mean, if you can buy U.S. Treasury bonds at yeah four five percent, hundred percent, wouldn't you? 
if you don't need to don't, force to sell that's right. at sub below par, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's massive massive divergence now between the the regionals, the big banks. So um, you're thinking this is um, an isolated story with um, First Republic, given. I, I've heard that they're sort of more of a loss loss making bank at the moment. They've got highly concentrated loans to, you know, some some wealthy individuals, uh, and and that are and these loans are completely out of the money. Um, do you think that's there's a contagion there with other smaller regional banks as well yeah. in terms of the same uh, pool of of credit that they're providing? I th- like I think the contagion is more around the whole sentiment issue, right? Like mm. no one knows anything. Yeah, like I, I don't think you can expect the average investor to understand a bank's balance sheet. Like we've talked about this before. Yeah. Like analysts, you know, don't get it right all the time. How, how do you expect the average depositor to work out who they're going to deposit their money with? Yeah. And so if you're the average depositor, you're just going to go to the big banks. Surely yeah. you're going to yeah. go to the big banks and deposit your money with the big banks if that's where the confidence is. That's right. It's a sentiment thing, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. So I don't know if this is contagious to the extent that other banks have issues because I don't I mean I've got no idea what the state of play is or the position of these banks I mean the question would be if they change the regulation for well, that's the thing the regional banks now to have more stringent capital controls yeah 100% and look this is something that's obviously come out no one's no one's predicted it uh, those those protocols and controls that were put in post GFC has helped the risks that we saw during the GFC, and this is a risk that we're now yeah. seeing that we're now going to fix, and maybe won't happen during the next credit crunch. But for now, yeah, I think I think there is a a, div, uh, a divergence between smaller banks and larger banks. And to your point about concentration, that's what we saw with Credit Suisse. Like, yeah. still a big bank, but I mean they've had some issues for some time. So look, the standoff between regulators and the industry continues. What was impressive about regulators during the last? crunch was that they came in swiftly mm. decisively and they took action really quick notwithstanding the some people may or may or may not agree with the a- action items they took but nonetheless it restored confidence really quickly this one seems to be dragging out pretty pretty far and long and you can just tell by the stock price down 95 percent bonds have shit themselves the yeah, question is whether they can turn it around mm. I, mean, I, I, I don't know i don't know um whether anyone comes and picks it up, a larger bank, I mean, they'll have a they'll have an uplift, I don't know, a one-off uplift down the track in the short run. But, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to just have to wait and see. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, this whole overall confidence issue is going to affect the sector and I think liquidity and, 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 and the availability of credit is just going to, shrink right up especially but it already is it, it already is and it and and it's happening now um but it's, i think it's going to happen even further as smaller regional banks go what well, we need to shore up a position show our shareholders that um we are not taking unnecessary risk um yeah it's just going to have a big impact on the economy mm. i mean there, there's there's obviously flow-on effects we've talked about regional banks and what what uh exposure they have to commercial real estate in the mm. u.s um, but I think the other thing to think about to understand is is that like you know, everyone talks about commercial real estate in the US, but it's it's isolated to office. Mm. Like that's the that's the big issue at the moment. It's office buildings in the US, and everyone's sort of um, brushing over that entire asset class because in, and office makes up less than twenty percent of all commercial real estate loans in the US. So if we're talking about something that's like one fifth, less yeah. than one fifth of that entire asset class. Still huge. Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's a small number, but we, we, I, I'd like, maybe it's being a bit naive here, but I'd like to think that regulators do understand the implications. If you do lose, if you have lost confidence in, you know, these these banks that are servicing a particular particular asset class, like, what are the implications if you just have one domino foot, foot hitting? hitting yeah, I mean, less less entrepreneurial capital doing you know less commercial deals means yeah probably you just you don't see that expansion in your in, in gdp and in in innovation and all the rest of it mm. and everyone's talking about the impact it's going to have in, in, in australia just for, you know for, for the record commercial real estate loans in in australia grew by 11 percent over the last 12 months yeah you know, people are saying banks aren't doing deals they're doing deals uh we just you just 
you know, the, the good news doesn't doesn't make the headlines, unfortunately. No, no. 0.5% of commercial loans in the country are non-performing. That's less than 1%. Everyone's talking about, you know, zombies walking around and, I don't know, I won't go on, but, like, just the Armageddon scenario so far, and I, I'd be curious to hear what your point of view is and how it's changed over the last few hours, but it just hasn't eventuated yet. Yet. Hasn't eventuated yet. yet. Yeah. Uh, look, I think we're in a, definitely in a holding pattern at the moment. Um, it could, we're sort of walking that tightrope where it could Yeah, but having said that, like, if you think about the, the Australian market being, I don't know, six, 12 months behind the, that of the US, like, it looks like uh, inflation's peaked, which I think we want to talk about yeah. today. Yeah. It looks like interest rates are probably going to be on hold for a little while, and we all know what happens when, what, uh, uh, well, maybe we all don't know what happens after interest rates pause in the US. Uh, bar one, bar one, by one pause, which was in 2001, stock markets have been 100% of the time higher once the Fed has paused. First pause. Mm. Stock markets have been 100% higher. Um, and that's... and uh, Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with you there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the question is what, what happens later with earnings? Uh, and, but don't and, you think the market's already priced that in? Like maybe, was that maybe not the decline of 2022? Yeah, Like an earning, sure. Like if we're going to have an earnings recession... Maybe the stock market's priced. Maybe it hasn't. I've got, I've got no idea. Time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell if it's been priced in enough, right? So, but you look at home. Have you looked at home builders in the US, for example? The, the major home builders in the US, at interest rates wherever they are in the US now, I don't know what you can get a home loan for, like six percent, seven percent. Like, if you thought about interest rates at home loan rates at that, and home builders just now um, bottomed out and just on a massive uplift, it's. Yeah, it's really mind-boggling, like how that happens, notwithstanding the circumstance. Like if I told you that inflation is going to be, at, I don't know, seven or eight percent or nine percent, interest rates going to be at this at, at this rate, like would you think that home build, like home builders, is going to be the the share price for home builders is going to be where they are? Yeah, probably not. It's just yeah, yeah it's just anyway. Uh, but um, yeah, it was really interesting. I, I remember we, uh, I was I was in a uh, a, a, a luncheon probably 18 months ago before all the interest rate rises. Um, and, you know, they were telling people to raise their hands to see how far, you know, uh, you know, do you think it's going to be a hundred basis point rise, 50 basis point rise, you know, to, who, who is, and, and they didn't go more than 200 people in the room said, yeah, it'll, it's going to cap out at, at 2% mm. or something like that. And, and look, look how far it's come. But so, see, that's the thing, right? Like how does no one, no one knows anything. Everyone's always wrong. That's right. Everyone's always wrong. Everyone's always I mean, there's wrong. so many levers, right, that are pulling, pulling. Actually, I should say most people are wrong most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. yeah. Anyway, over to you, mate. What do you What do you got? Oh, look, I thought we'd just have a little bit of a property market update, given you know what we've been talking about. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, so, I think there, there's some some good good news stories coming out recently that we've been hearing in the market with um, you know construction costs finally really easing. Um, oh, just to clarify, good news, you don't mean by uh, builders going belly up? Oh, well, that, yeah. I mean, there's, 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 always, there's, uh, there's always those ones uh, coming up. There's how many been now? Five, six, seven in the last uh, couple of months that we've, that we've, uh, that we've discussed. But, um, the, I mean, the latest one's been, the biggest one's been Porter Davis yeah. here in uh, Victoria and Queensland. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, how, many, how many homes? They... Had a thousand seven hundred homes affected across Victoria and Queensland. Who's going to pick these jobs up? Well, I spoke to a builder this week, and he said we're not touching it. Um, and this was a very, very large, major uh, uh, yeah, major builder uh, in Victoria. Um, they said, look, uh, look, why would they touch it? Well, there's no point. Yeah, uh, could, I, there's no the incentive for them. Would the government step in and, and give them an incentive to jump in? Look, I think um, a lot of these homeowners are, are left in a rock and a hard place. They've paid deposit money. Some, some, you know, and th- these are not not cheap homes. Uh, you know, call it six to eight hundred grand homes, where you deposit money, call it ten percent, right? Mm. Eighty grand is for for a lot of people is uh, quite a quite a big um, sort of deposit, um, and you're stuck with an empty block of land, mm. and. Some well, of where, where's your confidence then going, oh, what, mm. what, what happens if I go with the next builder and the same thing happens? Um, you know, and I, I, speaking to that, that builder um, last week, he said 
the struggle he's having with purchases now is that they don't want to put the deposit money down. He goes, well, we've got to work together. Mm. You, you've got to you've got to put some money down to get the permit mm. permit done, um, get everything ready to go. Mm. Um, and 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 I think that's the ha- happy equilibrium where, you know, they pay for the um, pre construction design works, all the rest of it, get the permit, and and then you put your full deposit, knowing that. Hey, you're re- you're ready to start. But some of these people have got uh, forget the deposits. Like these people have got slabs poured gone. Yeah, someone's at frame yep. stage. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just for for the record, um, ASIC data shows that. Take a guess how many companies in the construction sector have gone to liquidation in, so far in 2022, 2023. Just a guess. Mm, I don't know. I. I couldn't even place a number on it. 30, 50? 1,236. Oh, jeez. But that's in the construction sector. So maybe they were, I don't know, providing maybe machinery to the construction. I, yeah. don't, know, I don't know how far it yeah. extends, but 1,200 companies. I don't, I don't know whether that's high or low in it's the grand big. scheme of things. But yeah, I mean, these rising input costs um, haven't been helping. The supply chain delays haven't been helping. But you said um, the good news Labor shortage down, haven't right? been helping. But yeah, look, it's it's starting to normalise according to CoreLogic. So CoreLogic... Um, they have a, a Cordell Construction Cost Index, which tracks the cost of um, the build of typical new homes. And that's returned to a growth rate of 0.9% over the first three months of 2023, a level not seen since March 2021. So, All right. So, it's still so that's big. It's, it's, it's less than half the quarterly growth rate for the same time in, in 2022, which was 1.9%. And, and a big slowdown from uh, September quarter, which was a, a, a rise of, of growth of 4.7%. It's still high. Still very high, but it's it's normalizing. So it's right. coming back down to uh, you know, pre-2021 levels, uh, which means it's on the right track. Um, so, yes, yeah, still relatively high, but coming back... Um, Back more in line with long term averages. So what is it, so just what does that mean? Are you saying the prices aren't rising anymore? Rising they're as not, rapidly. Rising as rapidly. Still rising. They're not falling. They're not falling. Right. It's not rising as rapidly. Okay. Do yeah. we think pricing's gonna come we don't think pricing's coming down, do we? I don't well unless we have a major recession, um, I, I, I can't see it coming down. Right. Um, you you've got rising fuel costs globally, you know, the um, we all know what's happening. Um, over in the Middle East, um, they've they've sort of constricted supply of oil, and, mm. and there's all funny games with um, Russia selling oil to um, you know the Middle East. Does that feed into like inflation? Yeah, to feed into inflation, or do like central banks look beyond that, look through that? Like if you, if, if that has an influence on price, That's a good question. Like if you if you if you're cutting supply, right, it pushes prices up. Like that. That's well, it push it pushes the input cost sure up to to manufacture. Uh, the materials, right? Because it but takes also energy for, to. I, I was thinking about like fuel, right? Like if you're filling up at the petrol station, right? Mm. Like that that has an import into CPI as well. Whether yeah, central banks so. look through, yeah, that that, I, that would be interesting. We'll get a get an economist or central bank economist on board to give you some insight some, into how yeah. they calculate all this stuff. It's it's probably a bit of a black box, really. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, it's 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 been a big issue for for um, building contractors dealing with these cost issues mm. and, 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 and cash flow. And the demand demand for new homes supposedly for Porter Davis w- impacted on, on the group's liquidity as well, which caused it to go into an administration. Um, and it's not just home builders. Uh, Lloyd Group entered voluntary administration. So that's a Victorian um, construction mm-hmm. company that specialises in infrastructure projects for the state and local government. So even they haven't been immune to uh, rising costs and with, uh, I assume, fixed price contracts with the government, um, overheads, uh, they have obviously felt the pain of mm. everything that's happening. But hopefully now with construction costs um, moderating, um, this should help uh, a lot of these construction businesses um, going forward. What does that mean though for buyers like... You know, we, we've been we've been listening to and hearing from a number of people in the industry talk about how it's still expensive to you know per square meter to build. Yeah, you know, whether look, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, we were at a conference yesterday where they were talking about 
the rising construction costs and, 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 and the impact that has on, on feasibility. So something's got to give, whether it's developer margin, builder's margin, there's, there's not much fat there in builder's margin. Um, so it's really developer's margin or somebody's got to cough, cough up the money and, and you know, w- w- what does that mean for end, end values and gross realisable values of, 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 of homes or projects, right? That, that's got to stack up. And if you've got an environment with uh, continually rising construction costs, um, you know that you know you've got to you've got to improve your revenue, or you've got or somebody's got to take a hit on profit. Really. Who, who do you think who who's going to bear the brunt of that? Is it going to be a li- everyone's going to chip in a little bit, or well, we, we've talked to some developers that have said we can't we we just can't pass the costs on because buyers are not going to take it. And so they've taken a haircut on profit margin, and that's uh, I've heard that from a number of, uh, of of developers recently, where you know the return on costs have come down from call it seventeen and a half percent return on costs down to ten percent. Um, so they've they've taken the brunt of it for now. Mm. Um, but um, when you're looking at project feasibilities uh, for for new projects, I, I doubt they'd be assessing them on ten percent return on costs. They're probably back up to seventeen and a half, right? So. Um, then the revenues have got to work to to to, to stack up the project to, to keep it going. Does this mean? Does this mean that prices for new stock are going to be higher? Yeah, I mean you'd you'd anticipate there'd be a new equilibrium, right? So it's just a supply demand fundamental issue where um, if suddenly all these projects don't start because. Uh, from a profitability profitability perspective, it doesn't it doesn't work. Then you're going to anticipate that um, there's going to be a big supply shortage, and therefore that should either increase. If we talk about resi, increase rental. Yeah, but it growth. does. It does. Right? And so well, this is the fundamental. It, it does increase yeah. rental growth, and therefore intrinsically increases your end value of product because yeah. you know on a rental yield basis you, you want three to five percent. Correct. Call. Right, so so that's naturally either going to come up, and then people are going to go, "Yep, we can now build more product," and then naturally it'll it'll just hit some sort of new equilibrium where, you know, there's going to be a lot of people out of work as well because there's not not enough new projects on, so they're going, "Well, we can accept a lower wage maybe or a lower cost to construct because we need projects, we need to keep this business going," and that 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 brings it to somewhere in the middle. And what impact do you think the the, the the government infrastructure and construction work is having on the private massive, sector. Massive, massive. Yeah, I mean, when it was an election year, you just saw all the workers going off onto infrastructure projects because that was the, you know, where they were getting the highest pay. Yeah, um, and and it was you know secure work. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So that labor shortage has been a big issue, especially during. Um, and you think with, that's with still all the, continuing? I think so. Mm. If you look at Queensland, they're, they're spending massively on infrastructure yeah, for the Olympics. Um, down here, we've, we've got the big rail, suburban rail project that's, um, you know, I think they've spent, what, $50 billion mm. on? Um, and that's that's big. And yeah, speaking of that, you know, there was there's now probably a directive that um, they increase density around this suburb, suburban rail, rail loop, right? Mm. Well, um, they did that, they did that with... Um, the midi cities, if you remember a little while back, and I think they were Dandenong, Footscray, Box Hill. There was like six suburbs they really mm. wanted to place emphasis on. And we've seen what's happened to those areas. Oh, boomed. Right? Yeah. And, and and if that's the directive and that's where government is going to be um, directing resources, then, yeah, you, you, yeah. you all know what's going to happen on that front. That's right. right. That's right. Money to be made. So, um, yeah, interesting times. Uh, I think... Uh, Hopefully what that means is there's more confidence in terms of uh, locking down construction costs and therefore more confidence for projects to go ahead. Um, you've, you've eliminated one problem, which is yeah, certainty of eliminating. costs. But now you've created another problem, which is uncertainty around um, uh, viability of a company where they're going to be around. Or yeah, not. I, I mean, that's the biggest risk at the moment. You know, how, uh, Which construction company do you trust? Yeah. Are they going to fall over? Yeah. Um, it's, and it's, it's very hard to tell because it's, no, it's not dissimilar to US depositors putting like 
which bank do you trust to deposit your money in? Yeah. Who's the next one that's going to yeah, go under? who's the next one that's going to go under? And unless, the, unless government and regulators come in to provide some assurance mm. that there's some degree of backing, yeah, like it's 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 hard. Like imagine yeah. trying to make that decision and you've got no idea what you're getting yourself into. What's the famous quote? There's nothing to fear but fear itself. Oh, so I've heard that. It's a good one. Yeah. And uh, that's that causes, causes all sorts of problems. Yeah. Well, hundred yeah, percent. Um, anything else you want to cover off on that? No, I think uh, I think that's good. Um, oh well, well let's let's uh, Westpac Westpac came out with a with an update a couple of days ago, um, saying national oh, yeah. dwelling prices are now <laughs> holding flat. Revised, revised up. From, everyone's revised. Yeah, minus seven percent. So they're now expecting prices to lift five percent in twenty twenty four. It's always revised after the up fact. from two percent. It's always after the fact. Always, always. Um, and yeah, they're they they're, they're convinced that the market's showing signs of stabilization, and that makes sense with well, it is. what we're hearing about migration numbers. You know, talking how, how much were we talking yesterday? Yeah, Six hundred thousand net migration. Net migration which and is massive. And we're only building, and we need two hundred and at least two hundred fifty thousand homes. Two hundred fifty eight thousand homes to just keep up with that. Yeah, and we're not building two hundred fifty eight thousand homes. Nowhere near. And so it's little wonder why you've got rents pushing up where they are yep. because there's no and supply. Prices and prices pushing price. up. Yep. Just, just a massive up. lack of supply. And, yeah, how, how this is going to be solved, um, what government initiatives are going to be in place to solve this the, housing crisis. The government initiatives, man, they, they've always been putting more money into people's hands. And you know what happens when you put more money in people's hands? The bid goes higher. Yeah. That's all it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. so, uh, look, I... M- I think it's 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 not a short term fix, but fundamentally the infrastructure mm. unlocking of land. I think that is the key to. I mean, you just got to flood the market with supply. That's yeah. what you got to do. Yeah. Well, these big, big build to rent projects that are now um, uh, uh, being constructed that that'll be. I think that's a great thematic um, that sort of addresses this problem. Mm. I think I think that helps. Built to rent's been around for a long time, but it's I don't know. It's become I don't know sexy again. I mean, yeah. You look at through St Kilda, you know, you know, family built ten apartment, ten unit complex. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully units. they're of a, a better quality now. Yeah, I mean, we're talking nineteen sixties, yeah, yeah. man. Like, of course <laughs> they're going to be better quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, look, I, I yeah agree with you. You've got clearance rates up around the seventy percent mark. You've got prices now month on month edging higher. Um, so yeah, yeah bar, bar some sort of black swan event that creates. Further supply chain uncertainties, uh, further con- restriction on 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 supply of goods, and therefore causing more rapid inflation. I mm. think, yeah, we'll just be in this sort of holding pattern. Hopefully, until these global supply chain issues mm. are, are further resolved. Right. Mm. Um, I was talking to one of the dads at school yesterday, and he was he's in um, in the auto industry, and he was just saying there's just still cars and parts just. Sitting in cargo and shipping containers mm. offshore, just we just struggling to get them in. Wow, for months. Yeah, which you know, there's still little pockets that you probably don't hear much about anymore, but obviously it's still going on. Anything else? We're going to move on. No, let's move on. Um, all right. Given that we're we're recording this on 28th of April, but it will be May when we when we release the episode. Uh, the old adage: sell in May and go away. It is complicated though. Um, uh, every time I come to this time of year, I always forget about the whole selling May. And go away, like where that where that originated mm. from, and so I quickly looked it up um, last night, and so it's ori- it, 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 it traces back to its origins in in England and specifically in London's financial district, and so the original phrase was "sell in May and go away, come back on St Ledger's Day," with the latter event referring to a horse race. So apparently, oh, in, in, in seventeen seventy six, off to the races, yeah. The Ledger Stakes, it was one of the most well-known horse races in England um, and it was being the last leg of the British Triple Crown. Um, and uh, and so what would happen was after, during summer, it was just, it was basically take your summer break, uh, relax, unwind, and you come back on, on some ah, of those race days. And go. that was Fantastic. basically during summer, it was yeah, three months. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the US then adopted a similar strategy from, uh, they were, effectively refraining from investing during the period between Memorial Day and, and Labor Day in, in September. There so you, you got, go. Didn't know uh, that. May, June, July, August, um, and effectively coming back in September. So three or four months. 
And so uh, Bespoke had this really cool piece. Uh, it's always, you know, you always hear these sayings, but let's let's have a look at the um, at the data. I'll bring this I'll bring this chart up here now from from Bespoke, and what it looks at is the median performance. Now we've got in dark blue for those that are watching, and I'll try and do my best to explain the chart in for those that are listening. The dark blue is the S and P five hundred. The light blue is the Nasdaq. The median performance on the left hand side shows October to April, end of April before May, and it shows a median performance S P five hundred. And I think this goes back to nineteen forty four. Wow, uh, for the S and P and Nasdaq's nineteen seventy one, which is inception. Um, and so outside of the period of May, the average performance for the S&P 500 has been 6.2%, 9.5% for the NASDAQ. And for the period during May through to the end of September, the average return has been 3% for the S&P 500, 2.2% for the NASDAQ. So you can start to see a divergence interesting? In, yeah. in, in returns once you start isolating them. And on the right-hand side then, what what Bespoke have done is broken it down into the percentage of time it was positive. S&P 500, look, and, and the NASDAQ, I'd say 75% of the time, it's, put, it's positive outside of the selling May go away. And during the selling May go away, it's 65% of the time. So look, mm. I didn't, when looking at these numbers, like I thought, yeah, there's a difference in the return, but in terms of the positive skew, it's not that big of a number, like it's 65 and 75% of the time, 10%, 10 percentage points. Um, but interestingly, when you when you scratch the surface of that and you look at it a little bit more, and I, I didn't bring the chart up, but what it shows is is the performance of, of May being down is because the beginning of the year was already starting to go down. Mm. Um, even though... Uh, the median performance looks a lot higher, but that's being captured from the end of October, November, December, leading into you know the Santa Claus rally. Um, typically, when the May period is is lower, it's primarily driven by the fact that that year, that calendar year, the market was already starting to go down. Right. Anyway. So it's and so look, it is it is a bit complicated. I wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, building uh, an investment yeah. strategy on on <laughs> these seventeen uh, hundred year old. Uh, um, sayings, yeah, sayings, or, or or maybe some some rituals. But for whatever it was worth, um, I think it's interesting more than Very anything interesting. else. Very interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, this is one that I wanted to talk to you about. Where we're now six months in without a new low. We saw lows being made in twenty twenty two September October now, and everyone was always looking at whether or not new lows will be tested. And we seem to. I mean, the S P the Nasdaq seems to be in a bull market. But it's, it's been a bit over six months now. Yeah, a bit over six months. I think seven months now. Since the SP 500's low in October, that's why it was in October, when the index was 25% below its 52-week high. Since World War II, there were 13 prior periods in which the S&P 500 made a major low after a 20% plus drop and then did not make a new low in the next six months. And six and 12 months after those first six months, the S&P 500 was higher 12 out of the 13 times. Mm. And I'll bring this chart up now, and it shows the major lows without a new low in the next six months. The only one there is September 11. It's, it's, um, or in, in, in 2001. Yeah, big black swan event. In 2001. So you, you had tech wreck, you had September 11, and it's just mm. a mishmash of... Um, unfortunate events following one another. But you can see 12 of the 13 times the market's higher and yeah. more often than not remarkably higher. I'll bring this final chart up that I think really summarises it um, quite well. It's in, it's in a table format for those that are, that are listening. But it looks at um, in each of those circumstances where we saw a new low after a 12, 20% plus decline, one week, one month, three months, six months, and one year later, I might just focus on maybe three months onwards because it's probably as long-term as you want to you see. The average return three months later was a bit under 7% and it was positive almost 85% of the time. Six months later, the average return was up about 9%, mm. 92% of the time. One year later, the average <clears throat> um, return was up 14.4% of the time sorry, 14.4% average return, positive 92% of the time, one year later when we've gone through what we've just gone through. Wow. 
So, like, when I see stuff like this, look, I might be confirmation bias, but I get pretty optimistic and pretty bullish when I see this stuff. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bullish for the next three, six, and 12 months for the reasons I've, I've, just, um, I've just gone through. Um, any, anything you want to add to this? Do you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts? It's, it's an interesting one. Like, everything I'm hearing anecdotally from people in the market, um, yeah, speaking to people doing... IPOs and placements is it's really hard to raise cash sure. um, and businesses uh, have big cash flow issues and they're mm. struggling. So that, but that's right that, now. That's, that's now. Um, and that's sometimes doesn't marry up to what the stock market does no. right? at all. Cause stock market's looking ahead. It's looking ahead. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting one having that disconnect between what you see day to day and what you're hearing from people and, and what the market's doing. And I think, yeah, uh, I, I don't probably don't yeah. disagree with you. Probably. Well, this is not my opinion. This is just the facts, right? Yeah. And so the, 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 the anecdote that you provide, like I think about in this instance, the next six months, 12 months is higher. Like things are going to get better. Things are going to, well, it's, it's chicken egg, right? So is it the stock market that's going up and then creating some positivity around the market mm. and then, those guys or girls that want to IPO, the market's more receptive. Yep. We're getting more IPOs. Yep. And then each just feeds, feeds off, off each, each other, other. Yeah. Which, which this is the outcome of all the things oh, that you're talking that's about. That's right, the momentum. And I just, I just wonder whether that's, that's a thing. And I, yeah, and I'm sure it's coming. I mean, it always comes in cycles. So, I, I mean, these, these data points, that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, really interesting. And look, everyone's talking about 2024 being a much better year. I mean, next year's always going to be better, right? It's like a, it's like a shitty footy club team. Next year's always going to be better. <laughs> yeah, people forget and then say, yeah. But it's always next year, right? Next everyone's year. talking about a second half 2023 recession now. Yep. Um, but we're all talking about yeah. you know, positive 2024. So that makes sense. Right? So, yeah, next maybe, year. Maybe it works out. Yep. So look, I'm, I'm bullish. I'm optimistic. I like it. Um, it's good to be bullish. Good to be optimistic. A um, few other things I want to wrap up on on this topic, and I'll start sh- sharing some charts here. Maybe um, maybe you might have a point of view on this. Let me let me quickly go through them, and then let me know what you think. Uh, the first one is a twelve month cha- percentage change in CPI for Australia and the US. We had a peak of about nine percent in in the US. Now we're down to fa- uh, where's the orange number five. The Australian what what did we peak in Australia? Was it like eight percent or something like that? We're down to seven. And what it looks like, certainly in the US, a clear turnaround. Like inflation's turned the corner. Um, and yeah, I mean, never say never, but for now, it looks like it's cemented there. And mm. I think the Australian market is following suit. You can see it's a little bit of a lag there in, in the US, but I reckon, especially coming with the numbers coming out a couple of days ago, I, I reckon we're just going to see a, a very slow and steady decline. I mean, there was a 10% reduction in, 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 in the rate of inflation over the last 12 months. Um, that's the first one. What's the second one? Aussie interest rates. This one I thought was interesting because I'll bring the US one up in a second. The Australian 10-year government bond yield is sitting at 3.5%. The RBA cash rate is sitting at 36 What the market's telling us now, I think we're done Yeah. in terms of rate hikes. Yep. So that's, that's uh, good, uh, chart, chart number two. Um, and chart number three is the US interest rates. This is, a, this is a big discrepancy. Federal funds target rate at five, US 10-year treasury 3.4. Mm. That is, a, like, going back, to, going back in to the last 33 years, we have never seen such a discrepancy between the Fed funds rate and the 10-year treasury yield. Yep. So I, I leave those there, and I think that's real food for thought. And I'll wrap up on this um, final chart from uh, Torsten Slock of Apollo. Fed sentiment index is starting to turn more dovish. And you can see by the green ch- green line, we've gone from peak hawkishness uh, early this year, and we've been on a pretty uh, bit of a downward trend, and, and we're getting close to dovish territory now. Mm. Um. Apollo say writing the Fed minutes through a natural language processing model shows that the Fed is starting to turn more dovish, suggesting that we're approaching the peak in this rate height cycle and the Fed is worrying less about inflation and more about the tighter credit conditions and the associated ongoing slowing in growth. And I think I think they've I think Apollo's nailed it. I think the inflation issues 
becoming less yeah. of an issue now. Yeah. And we're now been, starting to consider the consequences of our actions over the course of the last 12 months. That's or right. Six to nine months. And it's going to be troubling if it's a rapid deterioration in, in growth and, and, and a real yep. tightening of credit conditions. Yep. It's going to be a big issue. For Do you them. reckon we're holding RBA's meeting next week? I suspect so. I can hold again? Yeah, I suspect so. All right. Let it play through. Do you want to add anything to that? Or? But what do I know? <laughs> no, I know. We know nothing. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, any any comments or you want to? Uh, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think this, yeah, uh, they've 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 knocked it on the head uh, with uh, with inflation, and and that's a good thing. Um, and now now they're gonna have to worry about the consequences. Oh, you haven't shared your point of view. Like you you said, you're changing your mind. Yeah, I, I look, I, I all, all these discussions fit right into you know what I've been thinking recently in terms of um, where we are in the cycle mm. and and have they effectively dealt with this rampant inflation? Mm. I think that, I think we're reaching the peak. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What um, do you what do you throw of you? What do you what do you got? Uh, last one I've got is. Uh, breaking news, Australia seeking to fix a broken immigration program after review. So Australia's broken immigration yeah, program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what they're saying is that it's overly complicated. It's open to exploit. There's, there's people that are basically gaming gaming the system. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's 1.8 million, uh, million guest workers who are permanently temporary. Ah, oh, yeah, okay. Right. Shout out to all of our uh, migration lawyer friends out there. Yeah. Good job. Um, so, I mean, we talked about net migration this year. Uh, there's some articles saying that's 300,000. I think we heard yesterday from CBRE head of research that it was 600,000. So 300,000 was 25% higher than the Treasury forecast. So 600,000, I assume, is uh, 50% higher than the Treasury forecast, um, which is which is massive. And... We we need migration to stimulate this economy, uh, to 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 basically pay for for all our sins. I think uh, mm. you know there was a lot of handouts and incentives during COVID. Mm. Um, you know, trying to raise taxes everywhere, and I but think they were deporting like hospitality workers. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Um, and you know, I was hearing stories where you couldn't you couldn't pay a dishwasher sixty grand to to come in and wash mm. dishes for you which is just outrageous, mm. absolutely outrageous. So I'm glad they're looking at this and, and what they're trying to attract is um, and, and, and retain is higher skilled workers, which I've been you know, beating that drum for ages saying, why, why aren't we attracting higher quality talent to Australia that are going to um, add value to this economy by creating you know, new, new tech, new, new staff or... Um, you know, really adding value to the Australian economy, right? So they 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 they're reassessing that. They're 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 saying, well, with unemployment hovering around three and a half, there's still massive skilled labour shortages in in a number of industries, including aged care, health, defence, um, and they're recalibrating these testings to ensure that they're finding the right human capital to make the best, greatest long term economic. Um, contributions to the economy. So uh, what have they done? Um, they've increased the threshold, income threshold for skilled migration. Oh, right. So that's gone from 53,900 um, to 70,000. And that's going to raise the bar on you know, types sure, of jobs. Naturally, that, yeah. yeah, naturally, that, that are basically going to be higher skilled workers um, and giving them a pathway to permanent residency, mm. which I think is a really good thing. Um, same same story with students. Uh, they want to create a, a sort of period in between when students finish university, and um, you know, for for maybe six months to a year, so that they can assess uh, whether these students are going to be uh, high value to the sure. economy and and give them an opportunity to be uh, retained on permanent visas. So I think this is. All really good things um, that are going to help our economy. You're trying to push up prices of property. Which is, again, <laughs> going to push up the prices of property. <laughs> um, and they're planning on a full uh, migration review by the end of 2023. 
So this is all, all sort of happening now. Yeah, look, the migration numbers are massive, man. I don't know if you've been looking at them, but I think we published some some numbers at um, you know, BWM report, Ecom Capital's report, and just migration has just through the roof. Well, if you think about it, we are, you know, we've got good health, good education system, clean air, clean food, clean water, safe. Political stability. Politi- yeah, geopolitical stability. We are basically an island um, away from With shit weather. The- <laughs> well, down here, um, yeah. maybe not further up north, yeah. but yeah, away from all the issues of the rest of the world, really. Uh, look, um, I, I don't disagree with you. And yeah, people talk about property prices. You know, you know, Andrew Schwartz yesterday was saying uh, about how it was the same issue back in 1976. Yeah, yeah and you pick up pa- newspaper clippings, and you know, you've seen the old lots of land being subdivided. Have you seen that um, that that interview? Which one? I'll send it to you. It was, I think. An old ABC interview. Oh, is it? I haven't of, seen that interview. Uh, yeah, of yeah, black and white. They were interviewing people with blocks of land. Yeah, they were paying like a thousand dollars for for you know big parcels. Mm. I, I can't even remember what measurement they were using. It wasn't your standard uh, mm. square meters mm. um, back then. But um, yeah, it's just amazing. And they were saying how um, two thousand, three thousand for the block was too too expensive. Mm. Um, so I think I agree. Like it's always been the thing. As population grows as well, you, you know, it's going to be a natural, mm. natural and problem. And the, the issue we have is we have such high degree of concentration in major cities. That's mm. the problem. Yeah. And poor infrastructure that allows people to get to those cities. It's just, I, I slowly just improving. Just a, slowly improving. Yeah, let's, 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 uh, let's move on and um, we'll, we'll wrap Finish up. up. What, do you, what do you got for director's cuts? Uh, take a look at this photo. This is pretty amazing. In uh, Bangladesh, they've got floating. What is that? Floating hydroponic what's it, how's farms. It, how's it floating? Like what's, so, on the net, what's holding the dirt? Yeah, it's amazing. So what, what they're using is uh, basically rectangular floating rafts that are made oh, right. with tightly knit weeds known as water hyacinths, ah. um, and they're bolstered by bamboo poles. How good's that? How amazing is that, right? And they, they grow these seeds. They've got a layer of manure on top, and they grow, they grow crops. Plants, fruits, vegetables, spices. Where does the water? Does, does the so soil it grows suck the, the soil. Uh, so no, oh, the it's, roots. It's, it's, the roots go into the oh, water. Yeah, yes. and and then there's a layer of manure on top. Yeah, wow. And so what they're saying is, with global warming and rising water and flooding, these things can be built really quickly and they rise. They rise with the with the tide and yeah, and if there's a cyclone, they could be re- rebuilt really quickly. Fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. So low cost way of. Uh, um, creating viable this, food right? produce and yeah talk about innovation and this has been around for 400 years by the way uh, it's like built to rent <laughs> it's been around <laughs> fucking 70 years we're talking about it like it's a new thing oh no. amazing anyway I, I was i was really impressed yeah that. that's I thought that was pretty cool yeah fascinating um the other one i had a little clip from twitter from comsec it has taken three months to cut monthly inflation numbers by around two percentage points. That matches the run-up in the three months to March 2022. So it's certainly possible for wow. inflation to, rent to return to 2 to 3% target ban by the end of 2023. That's, a, that's, uh, that's very insightful. Mm. Well, there you go. well, on ComSec, it's a, it's a good quality content there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So we, yeah, if we're, if we're getting back to target by the end of the year... Uh, if you're, if you're, if you're falling by about ten percent every month, your seven goes to six point three, goes to five and a half. Yep. Doesn't take long. Doesn't take long. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. Put it that way. Do you want to go through to your tips and recs? Yeah, cool. I got two. Um, I was um, overseas. Uh, in sunny Vanuatu over the school holidays, and so I had a bit of time to. And I didn't bring my laptop. Either good, so glad you got some it, downtime. Yeah, no, it really was. Um, but I did have my phone. Reviewing reviewing work and docs on the phone is not ideal after you've had a twenty one year old Glenfiddich uh, <laughs> by the pool oh. uh, while the kids Lucky are in there at about eight o'clock. Slaving away, <laughs> this guy. Um, uh, two shows that I watch, or one show, one movie. Um, have you seen Beef on Netflix? I've seen the first episode, so I'm, uh, yeah, right. I haven't had time to go through it, but. The guy looks like you. Like the <laughs> guy is the guy is you. His name's Steven. Yeah, I think so. Um, in real life. Oh, okay. I don't know what his real life name is. I'm like, <laughs> that's John. 
<laughs> so anyway, for those who haven't seen Beef, um, Amy Wong, what's her name? Yeah, yeah, the Chick. comedian. Yeah, she's, she's so good. Yeah, she's she good. was really good. So it's uh, eight episode, just a short, short one season series. Yeah, synopsis. It, I mean, there's no real storyline to it. It's just these two. They're two li- showing their their lives, right? Yeah, starting- two, two two distinct lives, and they cross paths at a at a like a, a, a big shopping center, and their ro- their their respective road rage just starts to entangle their lives in a comedy of errors, and it's funny. It's you're on your edge sometimes. So I watched I watched all of them. Oh, good. Um, I won't ruin the ending. Yeah, yeah, don't ruin it for me. Uh, Highly, highly recommended. It's funny. It's quirky. There's a bit, a bit of action involved as well. But you just think, how could, how do the directors possibly think about even this next thing happening? Mm. But highly recommended if you if you haven't seen Beef. Um, the other one was King Richard. Have you seen King no, Richard? Will Smith. It's a Serena uh, Williams. Yeah, Venus yeah, okay. Williams. Yeah, I saw part of it. Yep. Man, yeah. Will Smith just hands down is it just a fucking god? Yeah. He's so good. Uh, it's about a two and a half hour movie. So from Brizzy to Port Villa, two hour, 40 minute trip was done for nice. me. Two, two and a half hours yeah. for the movie. Um, but it just shows the insight into, and a real behind the scenes, you're literally sitting in the family's living room as to what he was going. And he's, he had this plan. He wrote a mm. plan. You know, it, it all sounds very motivating and inspirational. It's a very heartwarming movie. But at the same time, you just think about like, what does that do to a child? Like, yeah. what does that do to their childhood? How does that? What? What? What is it that you don't see on the TV and the glossy magazines? Like, you see these two super successful, super talented tennis players, and they're arguably, arguably the the best female players that ever lived. But and that's all good and well, and I, you know, it's it's absolutely inspirational. But you know what? Greatness like that can only be achieved through, can through it? hardship. I reckon. You, Why you, can't you achieve greatness without? You're not. You're not that. You're not hardship. as motivated. To, I think that there's a there's a discipline and 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 a mental psychological element to it to really move out of that comfort zone and want to achieve something mm. greater. If you're too comfortable, you you're not gonna probably probably not gonna I don't strive know, like, that hard. Uh, but I just I just. Look, I'm sure there are lots of successful people that have not had, you know, if you talk about relatively speaking, maybe didn't have to push as hard as somebody else did to achieve success in another field. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm not saying for one second that that is the only way oh, to I'm achieve success. I'm not saying that that's success. the only way, no. But also just think about like what, like what impact does that have on the children? Like mm. I just wonder, and then when, you know, they have children, do they want their children to have the life they had or you know typically when you have children you know like yeah, you, you might both to know, have a better or you either want them to have the life that you did or you want them to not have the life that you had because mm. you, you you grew up with you know traumatic experiences or whatever the case may yeah, be yeah. and it's you're either pulling or pushing mm. and i just wonder like what dynamic that that creates for like the next generation yeah super interesting but nonetheless man yeah that was will good. smith he's just brilliant he is just a gun like, yeah just the gun. Too bad so. about what happened at the uh, was it the, the Oscars? Oscars? Yeah, yeah. Who? That killed him. So I thought that was a I thought that was staged. But then yeah. someone said that he's lost his marbles. He lost yeah. his marbles yeah. for a little while. He got divorced. Yeah. His wife cheated on him. I don't, I don't, like that. Yeah. I don't keep up with up. these. I don't keep up with the these magazines. Yeah, and not, not sure what happened there. I just watched a movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was fucking hands down. He was playing. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Um, but both of those, man, highly, highly recommended. Highly recommended. So if you find... Oh, I will. I'll two and a half hours and, for uh, King Richard. Find the time on the weekend. Bloody good. Anyway, what do you got? Uh, got another dining dining. Of course you, you do. <laughs> I went to Yugen Dining. What uh, is this? This is a Japanese restaurant in uh, South Yara at the Capitol Grand. Um, they've got an amazing, oh, yeah. amazing place downstairs. This is a U type of place. Oh, uh, yeah. They must have spent a fortune on the fit out. I don't the know how much they spent. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Chandler is... So they've got this six-seater omakase that is basically... Is that the place you sent me the video? Yeah, oh. it's impossible to book. <laughs> and of course you Somehow got we got in. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> six seats. Uh, the guys are amazingly creative. Um, not your traditional omakase. They've, they, they, they spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about um, the dishes and how to present that over something like 27 courses. You had 27 Something courses? Something like 27 courses. Um, 
and the amount of attention to detail and prep that they must have done, um, yeah, just well worth the money. And the, and we had um, Sam serving us, uh, the, sh- uh, the chef there, and he was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, just, yeah, best time. Yeah, wow. Um, not cheap. Not cheap, I was going to say. Not cheap. I was just having a look at their, in- their Instagram. Not cheap. I think it was, uh, what, call it 350 ahead, including... It, it's uh, a special occasion alcohol. kind of place. It's, it's not very, a place you take your kids. That's right. No way. <laughs> six seats. You can't take your kids, man. There's only six seats um, in in this bar area anyway. Um, but I definitely, definitely recommend it for a well, special occasion. Well, I'll let you know how my Chinese restaurant in on, uh, ah, on yes, White, White Horse Road in Box Hill goes hey, tonight. It's just as good, I'm sure. Just <laughs> as tasty. All right. Uh, let's wrap up. Uh, we're back um, we're back next week um, hit us up on LinkedIn Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google and we'll, we'll catch you next week see ya my name is Robert Baharian and I'm the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management AFSL 526-798 the information contained in this podcast by me and or our guests may include general advice and does not consider your personal circumstances you should seek personal advice from a registered financial advisor who can consider whether the general advice is right for you.